0: Now, striking out on my own as an engagement and culture consultant and hosting this podcast has, I think, made me a little braver in going after things I think are important. Now, today's podcast guest, I think, is a fine example of that. I saw a post from him on LinkedIn that resonated with me on the topic of well-being and switching from an unlimited holiday policy to a minimum holiday rule. Now, what struck me first was it was really nice to see someone talking about what they'd actually done and the effect it was having. The piece struck me as something that was more than just a policy and benefit statement, and that it had a genuine, caring soul behind it. What then piqued my interest further was the way in which my guests responded to the queries, including some from those people who clearly hadn't read the post properly or were just trolling or trying to score some sort of imaginary points. It said to me that there was more behind what they were doing at this company than the headline of the piece. Now, there are a lot of people who talk about having a focus on people, engagement, and culture. But I think the thing that differentiates the best is a genuine commitment to doing these things and a strong belief that doing the right thing is not just good for the headlines, it's good for business. So today, I'm speaking with Tom Hollis, who's the Chief People Officer at Zappy which started life as a tech startup eight years ago and is continuing its story of rapid growth as it provides a platform to help businesses and marketers test and put out better, more relevant content to its customers. The growth path has been exciting and challenging, but people have always been at the heart of it. And Tom's going to share with us the stories of success and failure the company's had so far and how it plans to continue its people focus as it grows and grows. Welcome to the show, Tom.
1: Thanks, Andy. Great
0: to be here. Hey, really nice to have you here, my friend. Your story on LinkedIn really struck a chord with me. But before we get into all of that, do us a favor, mate, will you? You just give us a better introduction to you and what you do and what Zappy is all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm, I'm Chief People Officer at Zappi. Um, I've been working in the HR space for three or four years. And before that, I was actually working in product. So the early versions of the Zappi platform, I product managed, built the website, a few different apps that we use. Um, and I, I was always kind of interested in team culture and, you know, how can we build a, a kind of really people-centric, compassionate place to work as we scale? And, and so I was always getting myself involved in different things, whether that was I don't know, r- running focus groups, whether it was coaching or running surveys or these sorts of things, to try to understand different experiences and really understand what made people tick. Um, and eventually we got to about 150 people. And we didn't have any HR folk at that point. And we'd sort of made that decision consciously because we felt like, actually, do you know what? We're just doing really good work. And we felt like up to that point, it, it wasn't something that we necessarily needed. But we got to this point where we were like, we really need someone. Yeah, thinking full-time about the end-to-end employee experience and I would like get really involved in a project and then like have to dive back into some delivery or it is. so it was a kind of natural sidestep from a lot of that team coaching agile coaching stuff that I was doing to actually say you know let's think about employee experience and actually can we apply some of those product development principles and ways of thinking to how we think about people and culture um, so that's a bit about me before then I was a social researcher and did a few different things I've always been quite interested in like what is it that makes people tick? Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and, and, and as for Zappy, so we're, like you said, we're about eight eight or nine years old. Um, we've built a platform that allows marketers, creators, insights professionals who are coming up with new product ideas, ad campaigns, you know, launching brands in new markets, all of that sort of thing. They can use our platform to gather data about it. And we've automated the process of how we capture consumer feedback and other data streams and then how we aggregate that data and help our um, creators to derive meaning from it. So all of that programmatically. So it's a kind of data collection, visualization, generating insight platform.
0: effectively. Yeah, I mean, and that is, for marketers now, meat and drink, isn't it? If you don't have all that data kind of helping you educate your decisions, what are you doing? It's, back in my day, we used this thing called gut Um which uh, was reliable on occasions, but let's be honest, it didn't, it didn't always help us. And yeah, that moving into the whole world of data for marketers was uh, a huge, huge change uh, when I sort of first started in marketing, but hugely beneficial. Um, I just want to pick up on that post. And if I'm clever and techie enough talking to a techie kind of guy to drop that uh, link to that post in the show notes at the end, people can kind of see where we came from, but just, where did that post come from and what was the overall reaction like
1: yeah definitely so so look we've always taken this perspective of if you really trust people yeah if you really trust people you just assume that people assume good intent that people are there to do their best work you sort of don't need to put in lots of processes and policies and things you need you need enough so that people you know are able to be effective and we can you know need a bit more as you grow and all these sorts of things. But there are some areas where if you really trust people, you can just give them a guiding principle and let them get on with it. And we've always taken that approach. And, and one of those areas is on you know time off. So from when we started, when we were, you know, a couple of people around a shared office desk, we always just said, right, you, we're not going to have a like a holiday policy in terms of counting the days that we take or anything like that. Just take whatever time you need to, just mm-hmm. get the job done. Yeah, right? We trust you to get the job done, take whatever time. Just chat to the people around you, chat to the people in your team, make sure that everyone can... Cover and all of that sort of stuff. And, and as we grew, that served us really well. And one of the things that you consistently hear is that people love that flexibility. And actually, I think it, you know, the flexibility is one thing. I think it has huge impacts on all kinds of different things. And increasingly now, people are realizing, you know, from a diversity perspective, how important that is that you can design your experience of work, when you work, how you work, where you work. So obviously, everyone's thinking about it a lot more since post COVID. But we, we got to this point where, you know, several years in, We were looking at it and saying, this has worked for us up until now, and it works really well for some people. I was looking at the data, and what I really saw was, that so we had this unlimited policy policy, take as much time as you need. Mm. I was looking at the data, and it's basically like a bell curve. Most people are taking the statutory amount for their region. There's a small group of people who are taking a fair bit more, and there's a small group of people who are taking a fair bit less. And I was worried about those people taking a fair bit less, because our intention with with this approach is, people are well rested when they're at work you know they're they're able to bring their selves. they're able to do their best work um and we make use of it and there was a small group that weren't so what we did is we looked at it and said okay well if this is going to be the case this isn't working for us this isn't achieving what we set out to do so the evolution of that was to say let's let's switch to a minimum let's set it above statutory for the uk so when you think actually then we're you know a third of our staff are in the US. That's a lot more generous than 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 most US companies, but set it just above UK statutory, and we've got some. Uh, we have some like mental health days and things as well, where everyone yeah. takes a day off, which which is really brilliant as well. And and then let's just leave it open ended, you know. And let that that's the kind of evolution of of the policy. So we really wanted to just kind of keep. I, I think this goes to the core of how uh, we try to work. And to go back to what I was talking about around product is set a vision of what you're trying to achieve and then just iterate, just keep looking at the data and iterating and think, how can we change or evolve this so it better meets where we're trying to go? Um, and so really that's the core of of where that came from. Um, and, and, you know, I had a bit of feedback from a few candidates who came in and they said, you really didn't do a very good job of selling what it was going to be like (laughs) to work here in the interview process. So to just be really honest, I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to start talking about this stuff a little bit more and see yeah. where it goes. And it's been and it's been brilliant actually, because you know I've had lots of really great conversations off the back of it. I've met lots of great people. I've learned a lot actually from what other people are doing as well. So, so it was a, uh, it was five minutes, very well spent on a Friday evening with with a beer at the end of the day. Uh, just just putting that up on LinkedIn.
0: Often those are the ways that it works, right? I think the interesting thing for me was. It definitely felt like a genuine thing, which I really want to get, get, get into, but I would like to say I was surprised at some of the daft comments that also came on the back of your post. It just felt a bit, a bit LinkedIn-ish of, of people going, oh, well, we've always had an unlimited holiday or that's rubbish. What, what a load of bunkum that is. And, it just never fails to surprise me that the wallies that end up chiming in on this stuff for, for no real po- there's no real point to what they're saying other than <laughs> you're wrong and i'm right get with me i think it's part
1: of it, though, isn't it? And, and actually I, I i know what you're saying but i also think there is a level of healthy skepticism i think if you're putting yourself out there to say hey we're doing something different yeah and you know we're, we're, we're trying to do something progressive actually a little bit of you know people holding you to account and saying like well isn't that just how is this different from just the normal or whatever it is like engaging in that conversation is actually yeah. You know, at first i was a bit like oh okay <laughs> you know I, I i don't use social media i opted out a few years ago right specifically because i just thought, actually do you know what there's other stuff i want to focus on in my life so linkedin is the only one and i use it for, for a work point of view so i was like oh god okay let's let's see let's see where this goes but you know it is what it is and i, I think one of the things that I always try to hold really dear about Zappy and the way that we work is that we're not perfect, but we are honest and we don't mind being held to account. Uh, and I know they'll apply that to our staff team and if I'm going to put something out there as well, I'm happy for people to cool. to hold me to account on that as well.
0: No, look, and that's a very grown-up uh, perspective on, <laughs> on, on life. I'm far more reactive into things. I just thought people were being deaf, But um, right, Let, let's, let's get into into what you've been doing, because it's really refreshing to speak to people who are on the front line actually making this sort of stuff work. On the podcast, we talk to lots of people who consult on this stuff or experts who give advice and all that kind of stuff, but it's always a joy to talk to people that are actually making it happen. I think what's interesting for me personally is I've got someone with me today who isn't traditionally having an HR background, has come from product, and we're going to talk about, I'm sure... The influence around how how products come to market and the attitude and processes that you that you use in that area and how you've applied that to the people and culture stuff. And from my perspective, as an old ex-brand marketing guy who now works in an area, let's be fair, that is traditionally handed over to, to HR, that culture people thing. That's that's HR's job. And having a different perspective. And I think it's the different perspectives that that come into the mix that are interesting, right? I'm not saying you or I know any better than a traditional HR uh, professional, but I think the different perspectives all come and you can kind of move forward in in that perspective. So normally, when I've talked to guys from rapid growth startups, I mean, traditionally, they're a pretty frenetic, exciting, slightly chaotic world where there's a – There's a founder at the center going, oh, this is my vision, this is where we're going, bash, bash, bash. And from my experience, culture and people usually take one of two forms. One, it's absolutely the be all and end all about it, and that's what we're going to build something around. Or secondly, yeah, 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 we'll hardwire this culture stuff later on when we get to a certain size. Now, it seems to me from the outside that it was always at the core of the zappy thought. Is that true? And 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 how's that manifested itself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you say, it's a lot about the founders, mm. actually. And, and and our founders, our CEO, um, chief technology officer, a few of the other kind of core founders, always really prioritise culture. And I, because I've been there from the start as well, it's something that we've always worked on together. And And, you know, there's been a number of different, I would say, over the years, sort of very influential ideas or books or things like that, that we've read, brought into the organization and then kind of folded into our culture. So I would say that there's actually very little that we're doing that's completely unique. Yeah, And we always say like, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, we'd like, we like, we try to take on as many different ideas and just keep evolving based on whatever the context is at the time. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I'd say like really kind of having, having the support of the founders of, you know, I, to me, there's 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 two core organising principles, and other people in my organisation probably say something different about these two. But the the, the first is trust, yep. and the second is compassion. Right. And and I think actually, if you're holding those two spaces, everything else flows from that. And I think that's what our founders have done really well. Um, and then that enables that's enabled me and freed me up to be like, okay, how can we kind of Forward that into all of our everyday and the ways that we work and all those sorts of things.
0: I think they're two incredibly important words when it comes to the world of uh, culture and engagement. A hundred percent, they're they're almost core foundations. I think of the, of the whole thing. And if we think about two outputs that we want from 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 a great culture is a workforce that feels that they can turn up and be their best every day and that want to stay with you, right, and act as a tractor being bringing in other like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And if we think about the challenges that we face right now, there's a big piece in my heart that I hopes you're going to say something positive about the following, but it would be my my dream that that focus on compassion and trust means that in the face of all the turmoil that we've had over the last sort of two to three years, even in a rapidly growing startup that you are holding onto your people and you are in the face of the great resignation or big quit or whatever you want to call it, actually you're managing to hold onto your talent and they feel like they're thriving in that environment. Please tell me that is what's happening.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not everyone, but yeah, no, definitely. And and actually I think, you know, I think there's a growing perspective that I'm hearing that of, of organizations looking around and saying what, what great resignation, yeah, actually. And it's the organizations that are prioritizing those things and giving people, you know, flexible, real flexibility, giving them autonomy, giving them like helping them to feel a sense of purpose where there's values alignment, you know, where they do feel like they can show up and be themselves. And also like you're paying them well, like, let's not, you know, let's be real, like it's a crazy competitive market and salaries are going. Po- 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 po. So like, if you don't get that right, that's table stakes. But yeah, you know, that, that aside. Like I, th- I think, yeah, you know, and if you look at us, we're over the last few years, we we have around five percent voluntary attrition, so people do tend to stay, and like we regularly, you know, it's happened three times this year already where somebody's left and they've already come back, um this year where they go and try something else, come and realise actually, you know, I'm this miss working there. So I think there's a, there's a lot of evidence to show that what we're doing is having a really positive impact, and, and I do think that sometimes. You know, some people have a reaction to talking about things like compassionate work, mm. the idea of compassionate work. But but actually, I think organisations like ours show that there is a, like it, it's a real bottom line issue. You know, if you create a truly trustful, compassionate environment, you get the better out. Of people. people who are there can do better work and people tend to stay and it's easier to recruit people and mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. When I think about Compassion. Again, you can think about it and think, "Oh, it's a kind of oh, it means everyone being nice to each other." Or it's, <laughs> a, you know, it's like like West Coast hippie hippie crap. But but actually, you know, for me, compassion is about accountability. It's about taking accountability for yourself and the impact that you have on other people. It's about taking accountability for the experience that people have in your organisation. And it's about taking accountability for addressing issues when you find them, you know? And so for me, like compassion isn't like this sort of soft fluffy edge thing. It's actually saying like, no, let's really treat people with the respect that all human beings deserve. And when you do that, you get real benefits from it.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, you're hitting all of my buttons today, Tom. (laughs) Uh, I I don't want to bore my audience going off on rants about these sorts of things, but you know, compassion's far 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 from a fluffy thing you know care empathy i love adding accountability into that you know that puts a harder edge onto these things and actually the, the human skills that we need in that sort of environment are they're not easy they're not natural to to everyone i mean this just pick up some of the words that you've used already this um on this show trust treating people like Adults, being human, taking a personal approach, uh, using compassion. These are words that scare the bejesus out of most CEOs, Mm. right? It's changing, which is great, but these kind of amorphous people things where I have to take a personal approach to everybody in my organization and work out what's best for them and how to adapt to them to get the best out of them, these can be scary things. But in a business like that you're talking about, you're using these to actually liberate the people inside the business rather than than relate back to the old fashioned uh, command and control. You've got a set of tram lines that you must stick to. This is what we're doing. You're looking at the whole liberation of your workforce. I think. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and it, it, it's a really interesting one. You, you kind of talk about scale as well, and I think that's like we, we we've got one of those classic tensions. That we've been working through so we, we probably had i say we, we probably had three different periods of intense yeah. scaling. so when we went from i don't know 15 20 people to about 70 or 80 then when we went up to 200 and then you know in the last sort of 14 months or so we've gone from 200 to 300 people and we're just getting we're preparing ourselves for like for the next one so probably the fourth big kind of intense scaling exercise and each one of those has brought a different set of tensions. And it's that classic thing of like, okay, how do you hold on to uh, those, those intentions and those values while recognizing that as you do scale, you naturally get a bit more role specialization. You naturally need a little bit more process. Um, I'm a big advocate. I call it, to go back to my, my product roots, I call it minimal viable policies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are the smallest subset of policies and processes that we need to do our best work to be ourselves when we show up to be as effective as we can and also yeah to be compliant in how we work and all those sorts of things but primarily to be effective and to be able to be ourselves and that changes over time and managing that tension where you have new employees coming in existing employees Harking back to how things were several years ago, human beings, in my experience, have we've got an you know an unending ability to see the rosy side of the past and <laughs> yeah. some of the <laughs> dysfunctions of the present. You know, we ignore the dysfunctions of the past. I think um, so. Like managing that tension is like that is one of the things that actually gets me out of bed every day because I just think it's a super interesting problem to think about um, and to sort of experiment with as we grow.
0: I mean, I think it's interesting listening to you about the stages of growth because I think, you know, that initial one, that sort of 50 to 70 sort of get to is typically where companies make a decision to hardwire the culture stuff or they don't. And I think it sounds to me like it was always there from the beginning. You're starting to hardwire it in communication at that 50 to 70 point is massively different right that's when it really does start to change what has been the kind of biggest area of tension and change that you've seen through those stages that you if you look back and you were doing this all over again you'd know right that's the thing i've really got to get right from the beginning
1: <laughs> um, do you know what I, I think the first thing is that i would have put in place some of the ways of working and some of the thinking that we have now at our level of scale back then. Right. Right. I think at that time we thought, oh, let's evolve slowly, you know, blah, blah, blah. But actually the reality was that that shift from pure startup Mm. where everyone's doing everything and we're all working crazy hours and, you know, whatever it is to, okay, now we're a SME, small medium business. That was like the toughest transition of all of them, to be honest, because I read a great article a while ago from from someone who'd who'd been through that experience at, at Facebook, and it was all about the importance of giving your Lego bricks away. You know, and if you don't give your Lego bricks away, you just end up burning out, and you end up with massive dysfunction in the organization. People get frustrated because they don't have an opportunity to take new things on. So true, so true. And, and and so that's where, like, if I if I if I if I were going to give myself some advice back then, it would be how is everyone in this organization right now thinking about what Lego bricks they're going to give away over the next six to 12 months, you know, and, 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 and we didn't do that as well. And actually I'll be really honest. Like I think that that scaling, we made mistakes then which loaded us with organizational debt and technical debt that we probably just about paid off now. And I'm talking like six years ago, right? you know, um, and it was because we just, we scaled and we, we knew where we wanted to get to. But we were just so focused on the doing that it was really, really hard to get there. And I think the intention of the culture was there during that time, but it Mm -hmm. got lost amongst the, like the craziness, which is exactly what I think you're, you're, you're talking about. Yeah. You know, it was probably when we got to about 150 people that we really started to take stock and think like, this is not how we want to run this organization. And there was one book in particular um, called Reinventing Organizations. Ah, by Michael Frederick Leleu. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. So, you know, it's a case study of how organizations can operate. with. He, he's got three things. So, uh, like deep self-management, evolutionary purpose, so purpose that kind of bubbles up rather than comes top down, um, and bringing your whole self to work. And this case study of about 10 or 12 organizations that do, do this at scale because people often say, so oh, these are nice things you can't do them at scale. Well, that's just not true because there are lots of organisations that do it. Absolutely. Find them, define the model that works for you. And so that that was a really, there was a period of a good year or two where we really took those on board and started to kind of, starting from those principles, it gave us a sort of framework to say, oh, actually there are different ways of approaching different things that we need to do, like compensation, like professional development, like how we do planning, um, like how we do reviews, all of these sorts of things. There are different ways of doing this that we can explore that sit really well with our our principles. And then over the years since then, so over probably the last five years, as we've scaled, we've kind of just continued to borrow different ideas from different places and Mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, the, the mechanics change, but the underlying... We want an organisation where people are trusted. We want somewhere where we always try and get down to root causes and understand what's really going on. We want a compassionate place where we put people first and have a very person-centred approach to the way that we think about work. And then those mechanics in each of those different areas change based on the new people that you join or like what the new context is. Or, okay, now we've got an extra 150 people. How do we manage... This new level of coordination that's, that's required,
0: yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, I think that's that's really interesting to hear. But from a product guy's perspective, right, you will probably be in that whole, I don't know, build, break, fix mentality of just kind of like get stuff out. It's sixty, seventy percent there. Let's have a look. Does it work? Does it right? What do we need to change? What do we need to? Do? And out of all of that craziness you've gone, you would have made some fantastic decisions and some pretty suspect ones i'm sure so I'm say, I did. <laughs> just loving the honesty so i'm just wondering whether if you were to sort of look back and go what's some of the crazy stuff that from a product guy perspective in the world of people that we bought to market and sounded great but didn't work but conversely what are the great things that have kind of emerged from that kind of process and then how have you gone about making them stick
1: yeah yeah so, so i think the, the the big one that really stands out is probably when we were about 150 people we tried to do a big self-setting salary exercise um and ambitious you know yeah and and it it, you know it i think when i reflect back you know the question that you need to ask yourself every time you're going to try and do something big and progressive and ambitious is why are you doing this Mm. what is it that you're trying to achieve and is your approach really the best way to try and achieve that what's this in service to and i think if i if i think back we were probably a little bit guilty of being like Oh, this is going to be an amazing progressive thing, and we can like <laughs> do a study of it and run around. It's like actually, how is this serving the people who work for us? Um, and so, what we did is we we did we did it just with our product and engineering teams. So it was about eighty or ninety people at the time, and you know, we said to them, "Look, we we really trust you. We want to take our goal was to take money off the table as a consideration. Yeah. So, so we can just focus on the work and just focus on like everything else that we've got going on. Let's just take money off the table." And so what we did is we gave everyone. We said, "Right, here's like how the company's doing. Here's some salary ranges, a competency framework, and everything like that. Go away, have a think. Let us know how much you want to get paid." Yeah. Like, wow. And it was it was interesting. Um, it, <laughs> we the <laughs> people came back it, and guess what? It was way way over what we could afford.
0: You surprised me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And you know the, the, I think the reality is that that it, it can definitely work, but people need more support than we gave them yeah. right is, 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 is the reality um, and you know some indication of what's affordable and like more data than we had available to us. The principle is sound, right you don't need to restrict important decisions to a small group of leaders if you trust everyone and they have order and they have enough data to make the right decisions right and that might be data in terms of like financial data it might be data in terms of feedback about what a career path looks like or like how things are going for them all these of things we didn't put enough we didn't give people enough data and so we ended up then in this we ended up looking at it and going oh no okay this is unaffordable and we ended up having to then go and talk to everyone and try and you got to you backtrack at that point, yeah. Yeah, exactly, backtracking. It ended up being a very long and laborious process, and it ended up being exactly the opposite of what we wanted, which was to take money off the table as a consideration. And, you know, we sorted it out, and we got there. And, and then afterwards, we kind of evolved that approach year on year, and we said, actually, you know what? Like, this could work. We could really lean into it. But is it in service of the people who work here? Mm. You know, who, who's it in service? What is it in service um, of? And so we've we've ended up at like a more traditional model where we do like we try to have a continuous conversation with people about how things are going and twice a year we sit down and we look and say okay well like here's a framework here's how you map map against it we, we benchmark that to you know the 75th percentile so we know we're really good good payers and that sort of stuff and we have a kind of a two-way discussion about how things are going, about performance, and all that sort of stuff, and mm. you know, it gives us the the uh, it gives us a greater ability to ensure that there's pay equity and all of these sorts of things. But actually, you know, the freedom to choose your own salary. Some people love that. Yeah. And for other people, it is
0: terrifying. I was going to say scary, scary
1: thing. It mm. is terrifying. I mean, I, I would say, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't a complete failure. And, and actually, if I think back of those sort of 90 people after we had had a round of conversations with everyone to sort of, you know, help them to better navigate the framework. And then we sort of said, okay, now can you have another go away and have another thing and come back to us. At the end of it, there was only five or six people out of the 90 where we had to say, sorry, you're still going too high. Yeah. A couple of people who was like, you've asked me, I'm going for that. Yeah. And, and there were, there were, and there were, but there were more people, there were more people who, were, who just said, I don't really want to engage with this or like, just give me cost of living or whatever it is. And we had to say to them, no, that, that, from an equity point of view, that's not right. We need to give you more. Isn't that um, interesting? Yeah, so it, really yeah, interesting, so it was more of that than, than, than the other. But, but yeah, we've kind of evolved to something a little bit more traditional, but we still try and, we, we try and create a space, a reflective space for people. And let them lead the conversation and let them lead that process rather than us being like, oh, here's the budget for this year. This is the phrase you're going to get.
0: Comes back to that trusted adults thing, doesn't it, uh, that you've mentioned mm-hmm. many times throughout this. And so what's been the best thing or had the most positive reaction or the perhaps the biggest benefit to people?
1: I think um, th- 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 there's a few different things that stand out. So we've done quite a lot of work around diversity and inclusion and opening up opportunities for people to enter our industry who wouldn't usually have those opportunities. So personally, I'm quite proud of of, of those things and and the programs that we sponsor and that we mentor on. Both We're kind of sitting in two industries. So we sit within tech and engineering and product, but also within market research and insights and data. and, And each one of those industries has its own problems around diversity. So I'm really proud of the work that we've done in both of those areas to kind of open up opportunities to people. Because I think when when I think about, you know, we have our purpose as an organization, which is to help creators produce better work and produce better things for their customers. Mm -hmm. But we have another purpose, which is, you know, to really create meaningful, high quality, well-paid employment and to scale that. And to scale it to people who wouldn't necessarily have those opportunities. Yeah. So I feel really like proud when whenever we're fulfilling that purpose. It's kind of my own personal purpose, but we've also like adopted it, I think as a, as an organization. And I think the other thing I would say is around coaching and what it means to take a coaching style. and And by that, I mean you know the kind of Socratic questioning, incisive listening a very like, non-directive style and, and you know we don't like, we have a real diversity of people so not everyone that's not everyone's natural style but i think we've done quite a lot of work to equip people with the tools and the mindset to you know when the heat is on not respond in a really directive way but to respond in a kind of curious emotionally intelligent way and so when i see that coming through and the way that people show up at work that, that gives me a lot of satisfaction because I think it's one of those things where it's harder to pin down because it's about creating those cultural building blocks. It's kind of about the skills that people have, but also the mindset and the emotional intelligence.
0: hundred percent, my friend. I think that whole coaching mindset nowadays is, with all the generational shifts we've seen in the last in the last few years and what have you, I, I think that kind of autocratic, tell-tell-tell sort of style of management and leadership just just bounces off people now i think they're looking for a a lot more support and i think you end up building a lot more capability and muscle getting people to think for themselves and ultimately a good coach can adapt to those situations they're not there to answer the question for someone they're there to kind of make them think about really what would they do differently what would they build on what would they continue to do all those sort of really good things
1: yeah definitely and that's not to say that you know we don't believe in in being direct and and you know, I think this again is some we 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 use something called the advice process, which is again from uh borrowed, borrowed from through the Frederick Laloux book, but from a company called AES and the Arthur who who and who who came up with this idea. And this is an energy company, tens of thousands of employees, US based but but global, and he came up with this idea of saying actually why don't we devolve decision-making by using this thing called the advice process so anyone can make any decision all you need to do is seek advice from everyone who's going to be impacted by your decision and some people who are experts who can help you make a better decision right and then you don't need approvals you're empowered to make a decision and it goes back to what we were saying earlier on trust people if they have enough data why do you need to restrict decision-making to just a small group? Anyone can make those important decisions. And, and that's really like a, a founding principle that we've tried to adopt. And what's kind of interesting is some of the pushback you get around that is, oh, but it means we need to slow down. Oh, but it means that we're kind of constantly looking for consensus or we're trying to get everyone to agree. And that's not the intention at all. Like that's just, a, to me, that's just a really good way of working. You're going to make a decision that's going to impact some people, maybe check with them first and understand their perspective. That's going to help you some experts who can help you make a better decision people who really know that domain it's going to help you you know make a make a better decision and so it doesn't mean that everyone needs to agree it doesn't mean that we really need to slow down Right? Like it doesn't take long to actually seek advice from people and if it's going to save you in the long run it's a false economy not to do it at the start and so it, you know these sorts of things it's easy to look at them and say oh we're trying to get everyone to agree or oh we want a compassionate workplace so it means that We want everyone to be nice to each other. No, that's not true at all. We want a direct, honest, but also compassionate workplace. The two are not contrary to each other.
0: No, that sounds like the holy grail, frankly. Mm. I mean, I think that's what we're all after. I think it's interesting to listen to you, and I could listen to you for a lot longer about this stuff. It's great to hear what people are really doing and seeing the effect. But if I was to sort of try and summarise what I think I'm hearing, the benefits of this approach is, is that you've now got, to all intents and purposes, an embedded culture that allows people to show up and be their best. You're treating them with respect. You're treating them like adults. There's a there's a high degree of, of care. You've used the word serve an awful lot uh, when you've talked to, to about today. So that whole kind of servant leadership is going. And I, I guess the upshot of that is you'll still continue to grow. As a, as a company, you're you're successful. You're holding on to a high higher degree of your of your talent retention doesn't sound like it's an issue for you and i suspect the knock-ons of that are that you're also getting a reputation which means you're pulling in the new talent that you need who are aware of what's going on are hearing from other people that they they know or work with and that whole kind of positive employer brand is working for you too
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and look good you know, you're going to put me on the spot here because I'm, I'm also a realist. And like I said, I, I like to, I, I just want to be honest. You know? yeah. We have our own share of dysfunction. Of I course. wouldn't come on here and say that everything's perfect and that ev- like everyone is happy and all these sorts of things. But I think what we do very well is we're, we're very principle-led. We take an approach of continuous iterative improvement. And it's what I always say to my team. And it's the kind of culture that we've always tried to push is, Think about where you're trying to get to, and then every day just show up and iterate. and And what's your feedback loop? Like, what data are you looking at? Where are you getting feedback from? How are you informing your decision making on a day to day basis? So every day we can just show up and try and do things better, um, in in service of the people and also aiming for, you know, that that longer term vision that, that that we're trying to achieve. And and I think the other thing that just I I personally value and I hear a lot from people is just that that level of honesty. Mm. When we get something wrong we put our hand up and we admit it we're not at a size yet where we need to publish our gender pay gap but we do and we also publish our ethnicity pay gap because we think it's the right thing to do um, and because we want to be honest about where there are areas that we think we need to improve and that kind of mindset we just try to apply to everything because then when you you know i always think about it as like the trust bank when you have a lot of credit in the trust bank would you get it wrong if you're honest <laughs> you know you may be only running down that trust bank a little bit, and sometimes you're actually increasing the trust bank because people see, well, okay, you know, that wasn't great, but at least least they're trying.
0: That is so true, my friend. That is so true. And I am now going to put you on the spot because unbelievably time has run away with us. I have this part in the show we call Sticky Notes where I'm looking to try and consolidate all the things that we've kind of talked about into three little takeaways. They could take those away and start getting benefit from the things that we've talked about today so Tom what would your three sticky notes be
1: Uh, I think the first is to legislate for the majority of people who care really passionately about making an impact and want to show up every day and do their good work rather than legislating and creating rules to protect against a small minority of people that might abuse trust I think that's the core fundamental that a lot of organizations get wrong. We've got it wrong in the past, but it's what we've really tried to focus on. Love that. I, guess, I think the second thing I would say is, you know, if you are working in a scaling organization, put as much effort into supporting your existing staff team as you do bringing on new people as you scale. And that idea of like giving your Lego bricks away and creating spaces for people to talk about what can be really Tricky and challenging tensions that arise as you scale, you know, and talk about how the culture's changing and all of those sorts of things. So, put as much energy into your existing staff teams as you do into bringing new people on. And then I think from a, a kind of broader point of view, I would always just say like, like approaching. What's your long-term vision? What's your feedback loop? Those two questions. Like, are the questions that I just ask about every project that we have going on, everything that we're working on? What's our long-term vision? What are we really trying to achieve here? Like, okay, yeah, okay, let's think about the initiatives, but what's our feedback loop so we can shut up every day and, and, and work better in service to our people towards that long-term vision? So I think if you're answering those two questions and you feel confident in it, you're never going to go far wrong.
0: Brilliant. Three really high-quality post-it notes there uh, for people to kind of take away, and Learn from someone who's been there, who's not saying everything is rosy in the kitchen, but is saying, actually, our kitchen's pretty rosy. There's some mopping up to do every now and then,
1: <laughs> right? But it's
0: cleaning it's, up, yeah. It's cleaning up, yeah, it, but it's, people spill stuff. It's, it's a good place to be. Tom, I know you're incredibly busy, and I say that to lots of people, but I do know you're incredibly busy and, and with a lot going on. So thank you so much for your time today. I've loved listening to your story, and thank you for sharing it with everybody. Real pleasure.
1: Thanks for having me, Andy.
0: No problem at all, my friend. You take care.
1: Cheers.
0: Well, that was Tom Hollis. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him and a bit more about Zappy and any of the things that we have talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.